0: Do you want me to try without the headphones and just talk into the laptop?
1: No, 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 no. Never do that. Never do that. Like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not a good idea because firstly, you want to prevent any sound from coming off the laptop. And secondly, um, you don't want to vary the, the distance between yourself and whatever you're speaking into. So if, if you have right. the headphones like on a the headset, then uh, it's fine because you're always at the same distance. How are you? Like, I haven't really heard from you for a while and we've both been doing our own thing.
0: Pretty terrible, actually. I started a business right before a pandemic, so yeah, yeah, eh? uh, that's happening. Um, But, it seems like the reports about how much the economy is rebounding are, I'm not going to say fabricated, but, um, a symptom of uh, desire predominating over reality. I mean, I'm, from someone who's on the ground. I'm still getting sort of letters about mass layoffs from the MOM and stuff. So I feel like the business sentiment among actual businesses is is nothing like the business sentiment that is getting reported in the press.
1: Yeah, I if I don't know if they can even like pick and choose the kind of data that they are reporting, but but y I I mean you of all people should know that like if they choose to focus on like, you know, like citizen employment or, you know, F&B revenues going up and things like that then if you torture the data enough like you get the result you want to see right but then at the same time I've been working on like a few business development projects for my job and I also know that the the appetite for actually taking on new projects or like doing new business development is not as high as it was pre-pandemic because people are still fighting the fallout of the fires they had to fight last year right?
0: Yeah, sort of late payments. I've still got payments hanging on from like November last year and things. And it's the late payments that are the, the real killer, not the non-payments even. So, oh, yeah, man. it's it's laggy. I feel like the recovery is is lagging the reports of the recovery. But yeah,
1: well, is that is that late payment very big? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, actually, I got half of it the other day. So um, maybe things are taking off again, but it's. And it, none of the late payments I've had have been spectacularly huge, but we're also a tiny business. So uh, mm. they're huge for us. And it's always huge organizations as well that do it. It's never the sort of, you know, three employee developer shop. It's it's always, uh, I'm not going to name any of these people, but um, uh, oh, yes, shoot. multi-billion dollar international organizations that do it.
1: I'm sure it feels terrible to have to tell your like sales staff or account managers like, Please chase them for payment, or you will not have a salary this month.
0: <laughs> oh, I I chase them myself actually. Well, that's oh. small that um that I have to do it myself. Uh, yeah. So uh, that has been that has been a fun experience. We only had to sue one guy, so uh, that was a relief. Not
1: bad, just one. Like I mean, you, yeah. have, you have you have enough bandwidth for one. I had I have this funny story. Did, did you read my tweet the other day about my mom?
0: no i didn't see that one which one was it
1: okay yeah so a uh, funny story right my mom works for my dad in um in our small family business uh we do a bit of like uh contracting work like you know like laying towels fixing pipes uh, and fixing wires stuff like that right and she had this client uh, which was a subsidiary of a bank that was doing real estate business right so they hired my dad's company for a contract and they did not pay my dad's company for, I think a good, uh, since last October, I think. So that's been like, what, eight months?
0: Oh yeah, that sounds about right, yeah.
1: Yeah, so so she, she was like, okay, let me send a letter to the sales rep. And she sends like hard copy letters because she's used to doing that, right? And so she sends it to the sales rep and no reply, she sent it to the manager, and there's no reply, she gets her hands on the sales department director's contact, and there's no reply, and so two weeks ago, she just lost all patience, and then she just addressed it to chief executive officer, and then <laughs> and then suddenly, uh, everybody up the chain decided to reply her emails all at once.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's the way to do it, yeah yeah no i mean i sort of i'm terrified that at some point one of our chat logs will come out and there'll be me getting back to the office after you know dumbing someone for late fees, and uh i'm sure i'm on record somewhere threatening to kill someone and steal his car to make the payment
1: <laughs> man find some like extreme leftist to like dig out your old tweets can- <laughs> cancel you in like a few years but yeah, So you started this business like right after you finished your PhD, right? So you want to tell people listening uh, what you're doing?
0: Oh, yeah. So um, the business does qualitative data analysis software. So it's essentially natural language processing. Oh, it's called Lexicat. Sorry. And yeah, so it, it grew out of a survey that we did in China and Japan, trying to find out precisely how arg- how angry everyone was about the, the diayu Yudao. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we we just ended up with a load of long format answers because we got everyone to write out sort of paragraph long answers about, about just how angry they were. Um and it was taking a long time to go through them. So we made this hacky little algorithm to speed it up. And it was actually performing really well. So we thought, Oh well, maybe we can maybe we can sell this.
1: Uh Wow, okay. So so your algorithm can read different languages, like, first and firstly foremost.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, at the moment, on the website, we're offering Chinese, English, uh, Portuguese, and Bahasa is coming soon.
1: You didn't try to do the Japanese, like, about, since it's like Derridao?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we, we've got this sort of um, really hacky demo version of Japanese, and we just never got it up to a good enough standard to put it on the site. At some point, we are going to, but it's at the moment, it's it's a bit ugly, so uh, we're holding cool, it
1: cool, back. Cool, 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 cool. Hmm. So it trawls through like what social media, or like does it? Can it go through any part of the internet, or can it go through a database?
0: Yeah, it just deals with whatever you you upload essentially. Um, and it's not the idea is not to sort of make something that is better than Google or IBM or whatever, because you know they can crush us any day they want to it's to make something that is simpler than what they have so that you can present it via a drag and drop interface and people will immediately see that you know this this algorithm is saying that such and such a, a website has positive sentiment but whereas google will only just give you a score our site will actually tell you which words are triggering this reaction and if you don't agree that certain words are associated with positive sentiment or negative you can just click and get rid of them and improve the model and it's you'd think it was the stupidest <laughs> thing ever i mean every programmer i sort of described it to said this is they didn't say clinically retarded but um you could you could say they were thinking <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and the thing is it shouldn't work but it works if you've got enough data it works so i mean we made a a sort of a custom sentiment analysis model for trying to predict next day crypto prices all right and did you um, go to reddit i yeah yeah no uh, oh no that we've got we have got a reddit meme stocks one in the works as well i, I made a basic one Fantastic. and i'm just sort of improving it but it only took like an afternoon to make it and it's it's outperforming google sentiment by about 50 percent of the moment. just because i customized it to the sector rather than just trying to make something that would work for every possible text so yeah i, I got a guy uh, i've got a guy who's making a trading strategy at the moment and we're going to try and sell the signals from that i think um it's great at predicting rallies and less good at telling you when to sell so basically if you, if you put it out there with a the stop loss on it does a really good job so yeah
1: I mean, a lot, a lot of, I mean, with securities trading and like, a, I mean, securities, but when it's, with trading, you know, it's always a, often a self-fulfilling prophecy. But so I think being able to uh, read the sentiment is good enough. Like once you hear people start saying sell, you know, you are like one day too late.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we thought when we first started selling this thing. We thought, um, we just take the sentiment indicators and and sell them to the finance guys directly and everyone I took them to said oh well you no, you need to make a trading strategy and I said well you need to make <laughs> a trading strategy that's your job I just do sentiment yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah we ended up at a bit of an impasse um, so yeah I've got this guy uh, he's he's actually a crypto specialist from the US and he's, he's making a trading strategy just as sort of a proof of concept for this thing but yeah, it's a bit frustrating because I, I took it around every finance yeah. person that I know in Singapore. I, I sort of hauled yeah. this thing out for, for weeks and then didn't get anywhere. I got sort of patted on the head and told that, it, yes, it was very clever. Um, and next thing I know, the Barstool Sports guy is launching his sentiment-based ETF that made sort of $280 million on the first what, day or something. What
1: sentiment-based um, ETF? What does it even mean?
0: So it's um, it's the, the ticker symbol is Buzz, and it literally just tracks online sentiment and buys whatever online sentiment tells it to buy. Wow. Okay. Um, and obviously, it's it's a it's not a great method, but it's a not great method that now has two hundred eighty million dollars, and I, it should have been ours. Uh, so
1: I was just gonna say, it's like that's like the the Cathy Wood trading strategy, right? It's like you you sit on like Wall Street bets long enough, right, and then like you you just like dump a whole lot of money on the meme stock that people are talking about. I think Wall Street bets now even has this um uh, counter where they track like the number of times like a ticker symbol is mentioned, uh, like a weekly one, and then she just drops like what two hundred fifty million dollars on Calantia or something like that. Like what 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 is what is going on even?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean all I'm really hoping from this is that the fact that these guys in America did actually go all out and make an ETF based on this pretty bullshit idea, um, will actually encourage Singaporean investors to believe that this is a this is, you know, a future thing because otherwise I just think Singapore investors are just so conservative, they won't put money into anything unless it is already a huge success in either China or the US or Indonesia.
1: When you say Singapore investors, right? Do you mean like funds that are based in Singapore, or like are you talking about like Singaporean institutional investors, maybe like the banks or things like that?
0: Hmm. I think it, it probably depends who is making the decisions in uh, uh, in any given in any given organization. Uh, but yeah, no, that that has been sort of the the experience I think of all the NUS startup companies that Singapore investors, which is either you know. The, the individuals are from Singapore or the company is based in Singapore or whatever. They're not really interested in deep tech. They, they say that they are and they say they want disruptive innovation and everything. But in reality, they want a clone of whatever was popular in America six months ago.
1: But what's the point of having a clone? Like, Do they want to deploy it in, like, in another market or, or whatever? Because if you just clone a product and it's inferior then like, and you, you don't have a, a first mover advantage in the market, then like, what's the point?
0: Yeah, you, you've got to wonder. But I mean, I guess it's just, it's like, you know, there, there's room on the market for Uber and for Grab and Gojek. So people want to be the Grab or they want to be the Gojek if they can't be the Uber.
1: Oh, I see.
0: Which I guess why they, I get why they do it. And I can't criticize their strategy, but um, I wish they'd be more open about <laughs> it. <laughs> if, if I'd known this when I was starting out, I would probably have picked a totally different strategy in terms of raising money and, and how we were going to fund ourselves.
1: Has this also been the experience with some of your other like fellow entrepreneurs? Do you like being kind of an entrepreneur?
0: <laughs> it's what we are, I guess, um, small business owner. Um, yeah, no, all of them. Like the, the whole NUS startup program was designed to commercialize deep tech. And all of them have this experience of going in front of investors and they say, oh no, this is too, it's too risky for us. Uh, come back when you've got a million in revenue. I'm saying, well, when I've got a million in revenue, I won't need your money.
1: So, do you want to like explain very simply what deep tech is, so that the listeners can have like a better idea of what it is? Because it, it sounds very vague, but the, there is a definition to it. And...
0: yeah, it is very vague. I mean, yeah, there 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 is a techni- technical technical definition, and I don't even know it. Uh, essentially, it's for for US purposes at least, it's anything that has a patent attached. Oh right, yeah. And ideally, it should actually be a scientific patent, not like a new form of toilet roll dispenser or something.
1: So, a scientific patent and with potential for some sort of commercialization. So, for example, maybe like, like what you're doing, right? A sentiment analysis tool, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the sort of the potential for com- uh, commercialization that is inherent in the patenting process, which I found out, because we, we we've got an AI design that is. You know, it's mathematically interesting and I wanted to slap a patent on it just because there's a team in the US that is close to getting the same idea and I wanted to beat them to it. But yeah, it's, it has pretty much no commercial use or no legal commercial use. Um, so we really struggled to come up with a, a justification for putting a patent down on it.
1: But like you said, that shouldn't be your job, right? It should be, like, it should be the fund's job to create a use case for a potential technology, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd think so. Yeah, <laughs> you'd think they'd be going around to universities looking for stuff that that could potentially be used for something. But I mean, like I say, even even when I said, "Look, you're the trading strategy experts. I'll pass you the data, and you make a strategy," and I know, no, no, no you, you've got to make the strategy. So I guess that anything that makes extra work for them, people are not fond of, which is not a revelation, to be honest. But, uh,
1: yeah, I, I mean. I've been on the other side, man. like, like you know what kind of work company I work for, right? Uh, sometimes, like, I'll look at, you know, like, maybe, like, one of the NUS or SMU incubators. I see the concept behind the startup. I tell my business people, like, you know, we could maybe adapt for this, this use case. And they are not convinced by a hypothetical. Like, I mean, some of them are, but uh, for the most part, like, I would say, like, like 90% of them are not willing to chase the lead, right? And like even speak to the startup to say, hey, you know, we have this business here. How can we integrate it? Or how can we, you know, uh, take advantage of your technology to give ourselves one leg up our competitors, right? So uh, I'm not trying to defend the funds or anything, but I'm pretty sure that the executive or associate that found you guys was probably desperately trying to convince their management to, yeah, hey, you know, like give these guys a chance because it's part of their performance, right? They they, they need to yeah. get more collaborations going. But, you know, for various reasons, some of it is legitimate risk management. Some of it is protecting one's own leadership position. They will say no.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there is this sort of thing that, you know, no one ever got fired for buying from IBM.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's true. If, That's true.
0: It, if you do something outlandish, then you're you're putting your own arse on the line. I mean, I I even know companies that have made sort of COVID relevant products. I'm not going to specify which ones they are, but um, even they have really struggled at the moment because the investors are pretty much saying, oh, well, there's going to be a, there's going to be a vaccine in six months. So I'm not going to buy your protective equipment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you can't even sell, you know, diagnostic kits in a pandemic, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh then I I feel like our prospects for selling a, a little um you know tax analysis do that are pretty low. Uh. Our species
1: does not deserve to survive. <laughs> Man <laughs> There was this uh report that was posted by IPS, I think uh, like I'm not sure if it was a year ago or like Few months ago, was that done officially by Lexicat, or was it just done by you?
0: Uh, which um, one? I can re-
1: let, let me search it up because I I remember.
0: Was it the Was it the SCS one?
1: Was it IP IPS or ICS? Oh, I don't
0: know. because uh, we haven't done any formal work for IPS. We've done some stuff for the school in general. Oh, okay. SPS.
1: Uh... Okay, so so was SPS. Yeah, I think I, I probably confused it because like it's. Uh, you know it's in the same place oh, right okay. but i know you like got semi-canceled by some boomers on facebook or something like that i can't remember they saw a foreign name and then they started freaking out like oh my goodness
0: yeah that was 10 review they they really lost it Cause they, they don't like the fact that uh both black box and us are owned by foreigners so or have foreigners partially involved in the ownership.
1: As if they think that um, you know, uh, any Singaporean organisation would try to do any sort of an unfettered sentiment analysis on the ground. We are being rounded up by the ISA.
0: I feel like the fact that um, the TR guys hate both us and the PAP—that kind of puts us on the same side. So
1: it's a horseshoe. It's a horseshoe.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that we'd uh, we'd get some government work after this. Uh, they they decide that. Um, yeah clearly we're politically reliable if we're hated by uh
1: i don't have you on linkedin okay I, i'm adding you on linkedin now
0: yeah no, i, I never use linkedin hardly ever on facebook uh,
1: ironic right
0: yeah well when, when i started out as a social media manager um i didn't even own a smartphone i did everything via an emulator on my pc just to go without oh. a smartphone and then I moved to Singapore and I had to find <laughs>
1: like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like, when was this?
0: Uh, that would have been about 2013,
1: 2014. Wow, you didn't have a smartphone in, like, 2014. Like, what a Luddite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no, I, I think I had, I had a Shanghai one that I bought in Laos. It was, like, iPhone 12 or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> is it, is
1: it, can you even connect to, like, 4... No, there wasn't... Four, was there 4G at the time?
0: Uh, no, there was no data. It only connected to well, Wi-Fi.
1: Interesting, uh, interesting. <laughs> okay.
0: So yeah, uh, I was I was ahead of the curve um, with my Wi-Fi only iPhone 12. Oh, well, I linked to the one in the chat, so that's that's like the whole thing wow. about it. Um, the the angry social media responses. I I can't remember what we did with those. I don't know if they're still online.
1: Cars, condos and them, right? Singapore's perception of class wealth and status. So like how was the whole like commissioning process like and why did you decide to take it on and like what was like some interesting things you found about the whole thing uh
0: well they it was essentially the social media marketing guys who who commissioned it it wasn't the you know the professors or anything and they just wanted something that would get people nice and riled up on social media so they they argue in their mentions
1: Ooh, well done
0: yeah, so it worked pretty well. And I think we actually did did similar numbers to the, there was a study that came out just afterwards by a real professor about, you know, income and housing and homelessness and stuff. And we did similar numbers to that and he had a proper book launch and everything. So yeah, we're, we were killing him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it it did sort of work out well because we got we got one set of data by doing the actual survey, and then a second set of data when everyone got all angry in the mentions and said, "No, you're actually wrong. I'm the most tolerant person ever."
1: <laughs> the over you. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, what I was really surprised about with that actually was something that didn't even occur to me when we started was. The whole survey and all, all the reports and everything we did about it were in English, but it got reported in the um, Zabar in Chinese. And in Chinese, the exact same information sounds really communist. What? <laughs> Just anything talking about class and social strata or whatever. The second you put it into Chinese, it sounds like this hardcore Maoist stuff. And the responses to the Chinese version were sort of way angrier than the responses to the English one, which I uh, honestly, having read it, I was a bit angry as well.
1: <laughs> people were mad at what? Perceptions of the upper class? Uh,
0: people mainly mad at the fact that anyone was talking about this. I think it, it's something similar to the idea of, you know, if we don't talk about racial problems, they just cease to exist.
1: That's true, that's true. Uh,
0: there's this idea that if, if we don't talk about class prejudice and stuff. It, it's not important. It's this idea that making Singapore look bad by inviting people to talk about it. I mean, on, on Twitter, we did have people saying this is really, you know, stinky own thinky <laughs> because all we did was report people's actual opinions. We didn't make anything up ourselves. But yeah.
1: Wow, but I mean, it's true, you know, this is a conversation that's not been had. Like Singapore has had, what, how many years of development and we have a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots and then there's like everyone in between but then we are still stuck in this mindset of everyone no matter what you know you go to like a public school you'll we'll eat at a hawker center will you know um, go to local university or whatever and things like that but when you look at some of the lifestyle choices of the wealthy in Singapore I'm not even talking about the ultra wealthy I'm just talking like regular run-of-the-mill, like ACS, raffles, family, kind of wealthy, right? You'll see that they do things like, I don't know, like play golf and tennis on the weekends at age 17, right? (laughs) And that's like unthinkable to like the average Singaporean. And of course, this is not at all representative of, you know, what Singaporeans really do. But when you start to think about like, okay, their lifestyles are all out there. And so like, what really separates them from us, right? If they are sitting in the same classrooms from us, if they are kind of saying the same things as us, they're sort of going through the same life experiences with us. But, you know, on the flip side, they, they they do different things. They are conforming to different expectations from their families and churches or whatever social groups, right? So I think that the angry Singaporean responses to the sentiment analysis you did, you weren't even like saying, Making any statement, right? You were just like reporting the analysis, right? It's just them just unable to kind of process that they live in such a stratified society.
0: Yeah, and I think to, to be fair, if we did the same exercise in France or in the UK, the stratification would be way more obvious and people would be a lot more brutal about it.
1: Mm, mm, mm. I think so, I think so.
0: Because, you know, I, I grew up in the UK and i I grew up in a shitty part of the northeast and the rich might have been an entirely different species i didn't go to school with any of them i must have been sort of i was at least 18 before i hung out with people who had money habitually whereas in in a lot of singapore schools if you or you know you either go to school with people who have money or you go to university or you do ns with them so yeah, there is more mixing, and even the the deliberate social engineering within the HDB estates, although that is limited as well. Uh, something that we had a couple of people point out: um, the fact that rich people live in areas that you can't get to with public transport. Uh, people are noticing that <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tanglin and uh, you know
1: these Andrew Root, yeah.
0: And but the the other thing that sort of really struck me was. Um, the fact that there is a genuine underclass in singapore which is migrant workers and only two people in 500 mentioned them right and we we didn't specify singaporeans in the question you know they just we didn't even specify a country they could have looked at it worldwide or from any perspective but um yeah no we only had two people mention migrant workers and uh i can't remember what percentage of the population they are but it's not small it's Nearly 20, I
1: think. I really don't know. Yeah, uh, something like 20% because like a, a third of residents in Singapore are foreigners. So like a third of that is probably white collar workers and then the rest are blue collar work. Yeah. It's definitely true like that they are the underclass of Singapore society by their legal definition and right. I think it was this ethics class I took where I think someone pointed out that the only humans that are not legally allowed to get married in Singapore are domestic workers and construction workers. So you could be a tourist here in Singapore right, and get married. <laughs> but you could spend years of your life working here and like you will not be able to like get married, settle down and have children and you know live your Singapore dream, right? Unlike say like the yeah. I don't know American dream, if you want to call it a dream. But yeah, and also our migrant workers are usually kept out of sight, outside out of mind, right? Much like our Uber rich, you know, really ironic sort <laughs>
0: Yeah, they both live in Ulu places not served by public transport.
1: <laughs> the more you know.
0: No, I mean, I I do appreciate why Singapore has the immigration policy it has, and I think that as long as these workers are making more here than they would make abroad, everyone is getting a good deal. But. In a lot of cases, they're not necessarily getting the deal that they sign up for either, because they have people who are, you know, they have the loans to get here that are often arranged on a shady basis, and they're paying them off for years, and then the conditions they get when they arrive are not the conditions they bargain for, and they get their salaries withheld for such and such a thing. So yeah, sorry, this this has kind of become one of my hobby horses. I wrote a bunch of case studies on this for the LKY school, so... Uh, and now, the, the immigration guy by accident.
1: Wait, wait, didn't you do something about Chinese philosophy like and public governance? Why do you talk about migrant workers?
0: Oh, that was uh, purely for the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I, I used to write case studies for them. So uh, they needed a case study for a particular class or something. Oh. Um, and I ended up being just becoming the immigration expert, uh,
1: I think some people might be wondering, like, like how did you, this Ang Mo, like get to stay in Singapore for so long?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I sometimes wonder as well. I, if I was running the government, I would have kicked me out long ago. I had my visa for the PhD, so I did that. Um, and honestly, I I did the PhD for the visa rather than the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it was just the easiest way to to get a long term visa, and I thought, yeah, I can. I can write a PhD in return for four years. Yeah, no, worries. Um, And then after that, because I set up a business, so they have the, the Entropath scheme where if, if you set up a business that meets certain criteria, which is, you know, having over 100,000 investment and uh, not being involved in geomancy or prostitution, uh, well, <laughs> you're good to go.
1: <laughs> Money laundering, okay, but geomancy, no way.
0: Yeah, so that and that is subject to sort of annual or biannual renewal, and you you have to meet certain criteria, so employing a certain number of Singaporeans and so on.
1: How many Singaporeans do you employ?
0: Uh, we've only got one at the moment. Uh,
1: Sorry, I sound like an ICA officer interrogating you, but
0: yeah, well, it's it's kind of um, we we did manage to get through the the pandemic without laying everyone laying anyone off, which I'm I'm really sort of proud of, but um yeah. We also had a sort of natural attr- attrition as well, because, you know, if, if you're, if you're a programmer, you don't necessarily want to work for a startup. I mean, most of them don't. They'd rather work for Google or Razor or something. Razor? <laughs> well, I don't know what's cool called for undergrads at the moment. I, all I know is the time of year that they start to feel the despair of not getting a Google job and are willing to settle for companies like us. Um, so yeah, we did get a bit of natural att- attrition. We had some, we had one guy get head-hunted away, and two intern contracts just ended, so I don't have the interns anymore, I've got to get some more.
1: Oh, right. Ouch.
0: No, it's it's not so bad, I think it's... I mean, it it is kind of... You feel, you're getting friend-zoned whenever someone gets head-hunted away to a better company. Oh, yeah. How'd <laughs> no, it feel? Yeah but on the other hand it, you know we we're also saving salary money because yeah the, the sort of the site is basically working at the moment and we don't need an intensive developer effort anymore we what we need if anything is sales and so on so yeah we were going to restructure uh, in any case
1: how do you prevent you know someone like from like imitating your product and and then like selling it like at a lower rate
0: uh I mean if it if it was Google or IBM or whatever, yeah, they could absolutely destroy us tomorrow. Um if it was another startup, they just wouldn't have the processing power needed without making huge investments. I mean we borrowed the, the NUS um the what do you call it? Um the supercomputer. Uh
1: oh NUSM.
0: Marshan Wang. <laughs> yeah, they, they call it um yeah, Marshan Wang. Uh, <laughs> what? Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was groping for the name. Um, yeah, so we borrowed that to do the processing originally. Uh, so it's not something anyone could do. And even the big companies, so a lot of them aren't interested in providing good quality natural language processing tools for mm. what they consider minor languages. And minor languages include things like Bahasa, which is, you know, 800 million plus speakers. Uh, for them, it makes more sense for them to you know edge up the their English language capacity by sort of zero point two percent which feels a bit short sighted but um yeah it leaves it leaves the field open to us so great.
1: do you think that like with regard to like language processing there's too much focus on like like european languages, so like maybe like like english French I know you're doing chinese but like um yeah. Well what, what do you think?
0: I mean in English definitely just because so much of the data is in English that you know the the big data that exists out there in the universe a ridiculously excessive amount of it is in English. I mean even even sort of survey companies that are doing a survey in Israel they'll a lot of the time they'll do it in English rather than Hebrew or they're doing it in Sweden they'll do it in English rather than Swedish.
1: Right for academics, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, otherwise Chinese, Chinese, I would say the natural language technology that exists for Chinese is far better than for English at the moment. And it probably always will be just because of the way the language works. But so Chinese is this whole like efficient and well managed natural language processing universe that people aren't necessarily super aware of. But yeah, it's, it's sort of, there's a great open source segmenter for Chinese, which is something that just doesn't exist for English, for example. So that is basically the bit that tells you that um, if you see United and States next to each other, the computer should read them as one word instead of two.
1: Well, But yeah, Chinese has a lot of like the compound words, right? So it, it sets the context very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because you can't do anything with Chinese without a great segmenter. So someone had to build one and make it available before anyone else could do anything. But
1: it sounds like that you have a lot of like, Chinese competitors in that case.
0: Um, the Chinese ecosystem is sort of... They're very into walled gardens.
1: Walled gardens, yeah.
0: Yeah, they, they really like walled garden systems. So, I mean, WeChat is absolutely huge, but it's also a walled garden. Um, Things like API integration something like something like zapier or if this then that i can't think of any real chinese equivalent for that and they do use apis but low code no code computing is just not really a thing there yet it's used by the back end but no one has caught onto it and said oh this is the next huge tre- tech trend which is, has happened in the us but then there are other things in, where China is just a million miles ahead. So uh, scanning things to translate them and real-time translation via app and things like that, the, they're just so far ahead of us. It's ridiculous. There's no point trying to compete.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that technology is just being developed for like, tourism alone, yeah. tourism to other countries. Chinese tourists ain't going to learn any of your shit languages. <laughs> so we're just going to use our AI to translate everything.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is sort of internet monitoring as well, which is it's good for that. You know, if if people are if people are leaving voice messages on on WeChat and the government wants to surveil them, uh, yeah, a good speech recognition thing is is pretty essential.
1: I was gonna say like just now when we were talking about the choice of languages that you want to choose to process, right? If I were like the supreme dictator of I don't know, say a fictional country let's call it dianba
0: <laughs>
1: and 90 percent of my internet users use one particular site let's call it mianbu and <laughs> so it's like i can just you know just like roll your algorithm once right and then like i'll know exactly like what everyone's saying i think like that's a danger of being a part of these overly large online platforms like facebook twitter reddit
0: Yeah, I mean, to a degree, it does depend on how the companies control their data. So um, Facebook has actually, it's got stricter and stricter and also less and less usable, which has a non negligible effect on uh, getting data from there. But um, yeah, Facebook has just pretty much disappeared from the social analytics world because it's so hard to get data from it after they had the Cambridge Analytica thing. Um,
1: That's actually nice to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Part of it is just the fact that Facebook has grown into this sort of tentacular creature now where none of the parts speak to the other parts. So it's just getting less and less usable. Part of it is not even deliberate, a deliberate effort to restrict access to data. It's just the, the sclerotic growth of the site has made it accessing whatever you want to access more difficult, whether it's legal or not.
1: Oh. It's also like department A wants to cover their ass so they protect And then Department B also wants to cover their ass, so they protect their own data. Yeah,
0: And you you see something similar, I think, with Amazon, to a degree. All of the bits link to other bits, except each business department isn't keeping up with what the others are doing. So they're linking to dead sites, and they're linking to help sheets that don't actually refer to what they think it refers to. And you open one link, and it opens your business account, and then it switches back to your Personal accounts, so you're paying with the wrong credit card or whatever, and just all the integrations are f- essentially.
1: It feels like whoever wrote Dilbert should just reboot it again, right? But like for your fan companies, because <laughs> they're all like out of control. I mean, as someone who is not say that old, like I can see that even between like my peers working for fan companies, it's sometimes a bit passe. Yeah, it's.
0: It is something that, uh, you know, all the boomers that we deal with, they all, they all want us to get Facebook data. And I say, well, you know, I mean, among the younger generation, millennials, it's sort of under half of them actually use Facebook. Zoomers, it's hardly any. So (laughs) you're going to skew old if you, if you rely on Facebook data, if you want to skew old, go ahead.
1: Maybe you should start working on an algorithm that can interpret TikTok dance.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm sure the I'm sure the Chinese already have one for um to check if if someone is twerking us in a subversive manner into that. <laughs> or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're twerking like we need a pool. Uh
0: to be honest, I would absolutely do surveillance algorithms for the the Chinese government. There's so much fun stuff to to be done and I have no moral compass so I'm willing to do it. Um there's a thing, I don't know if you saw it, it was a paper that came out a couple of years ago, people who were using a, a deep neural net to try and reconstruct images of people's faces from photos of their ears. What? And it worked really well. It was coming up with extremely, you know, lifelike reconstructions of people's faces from yeah. photos of their ears. And I thought, I bet it works even better with fingerprints. I bet you can get a face from a fingerprint
1: damn 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 that's crazy like i know what like the years of some of my friends and family look like but i will not be able to (laughs) construct their face holy shit
0: i mean i i was so freaked out at first and then i thought actually no it would be weirder if you couldn't do that because they're all coming from the same source code so you you would expect to see trends and patterns reflected in both faces and ears I think it would be weirder if it wasn't possible to do that, just mathematically speaking. If if it wasn't possible to do it, then that basically is confirming that God exists and he carefully crafts every human by hand in his little workshop before sending them out.
1: We need to get an email to like Tim Apple, right? It's like, <laughs> you know what? We have something else that you can work on after Face ID. <laughs> it's like, just <laughs> your, your ID, just like, I put your phone to your ear right? and then like, they'll know it's you.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely going to get people chopping ears off. Uh, I mean, can you access an iPhone using a chopped off finger? I think someone actually did an experiment on that.
1: Do you have to warm up the finger?
0: I know people have done it with faces for facial recognition stuff. They they didn't peel a face off, but like print out a life-size photo of someone's face. And there are systems that have been sort of developed to stop you from doing that. Because you can grab fingerprints pretty easily.
1: I signed up for like a dating app. Yesterday, and I uploaded like a few of my photos, right? And obviously, I I picked the really nice looking ones in bright sunlight where I I don't have like a scar running across my face and things (laughs) like that. So, they have this verification process and they ask you to take a selfie, right? And so, like, there I am, I just take my selfie in my fluorescent lighting in my room, and my (laughs) hair is just all over the place. I have your stubble and then I just have this thousand-yard stare, and I take a selfie, right, and say, they didn't say, like, AI, they just say, oh, we are reviewing your photo, and we will confirm, we'll confirm with you once you're verified. And, like, two seconds later, like, boom, okay, you're verified. How do you know it's the same guy? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's, I mean, I guess, it, sort of, the AIs are less foolable than humans. Mm. They see the points rather than... Uh, you know, they're not going to be distracted by messy haircuts. I mean, we, we've got facial recognition at my, well, we had it at the, at the old office that I was in. And uh, when we got it put in, everyone was seeing how far they could push it to um, before it would, it would refuse to recognize them. So, you know, yawning or pulling a face or whatever. I mean, it's really hard to get it to screw up.
1: Oh, and it's crazy because it's only going to get better and better, right? Like first, your years, what's next? just like your eyebrow.
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh, the other thing would be I think collect- connecting dick pics to, uh, to faces and prosecuting people for that. Uh,
1: I would love that <laughs> man, like it's just like <laughs> can, can you imagine like being like the <laughs> the, the detective on like a case <laughs> just alright, here's your dick pic <laughs> and, then, and then they just <laughs> hand it to like the researcher who is this battle-hardened veteran right? Literally seen tens of thousands of dick pics a day, and it's like, Yep, he knows what half the world looks like.
0: <laughs> oh, god, yeah, well, we're doing another thing, um, text similarity as well. So that's basically authorship attribution, trying to work out who who wrote a specific text. So we're t- testing something, we're testing it out now. Um, I, I actually we made this really basic model, and I tested it using some classical Chinese text, but um, the big new project, we're doing it with Seoul National University, uh, with an actual budget, so we can afford to make something a bit nice. Ooh,
1: fancy! Uh,
0: is uh, trying to work out who Satoshi Nakamoto was uh, based on everything he wrote. Uh, mm. So yeah, uh, some people did it before, but they were using pretty sort of primitive techniques, and um, they also only included a few comparisons of so Hal Finney and Zabo and a couple of others. But I've got the full list of all the, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, The cypherpunks mailing list. So we're going to go all through it and see if we can find who it was.
1: Is it true that Satoshi Nakamoto types in double space? Like he double spaces his sentences? Oh
0: yeah. Um, Yeah, there was a thing about that because Dorian Nakamoto, that was something that he did as well. Mm. And he said, uh, it was a product of having learned to type on a typewriter or something
1: okay, I can believe that boomer uh,
0: I mean to be honest, of all the people who who might be Satoshi, just from reading the text i mean i haven 't run the algorithm yet, so i, I can 't confirm, but Doria Nakamoto sounds similar. He write short, direct sentences, which not a lot of people do uh, but yeah that 's. <laughs> I mean but, we are both on
1: Twitter so we can't say anything.
0: <laughs> yeah but I mean Nick Sabo, who's, who's one of the other candidates, if you read his style it is nothing like Satoshi Nakamoto's because he he writes, he writes these long complex sentences and then Craig Wright who's the other someone who's quite on top board, he uses the passive voice to a ridiculous degree and uses adjectives in every sentence so he, he can't possibly be uh, Satoshi. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty interesting project. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine like being the one to like find out who Satoshi Nakamoto is after he posts a dick pic?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it could turn out to be... Uh, you know, who, who would be the least expected person for, for Satoshi Nakamoto? Like Paris Hilton or something. Uh,
1: I wouldn't be surprised. If, maybe, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I... I would actually hesitate to publish it if we did find a really conclusive match to someone who clearly didn't want to be known for it. So I would yeah. feel a bit bad about that, but I also need a lot of money. So, uh, you know,
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I might just go
0: to him and see how many Bitcoin he's willing to pay me to shut up. <laughs>
1: um, okay. Okay. I think this is a good place to end today's episode. So, all right. Thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on our social media, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at bthpodsg or at bthpodcastsg. Links are in the show notes. Today, we had Jen Dodgson, CEO of Lexicat, to talk about AI and other stuff. All right, Jen, do you have anything to plug?
0: Yeah, um, of course, lexicat.com, L-E-X-I-K-A-T.com um that is our no code natural language processing software so if you want to predict the next game stop without learning to code that is the site you need to do it with
1: <laughs> emoji rocket emoji <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah thanks so much for coming on like i really enjoyed our conversation today
0: oh thank you for inviting me
1: all right thanks bye uh
0: is this like a real buy or is it the show buy? <laughs> sorry
1: this is the this is this is the show by, okay. right?
0: Yeah, sure. no okay,
1: worries. show by one more time. Okay, All right. Thanks, okay. Jen. Bye.
0: Bye.